This podcast is brought to you by the Association of SaaS Marketing. They've created a private Facebook group for SaaS founders, CEOs, VCs, and CMOs to discuss successful SaaS marketing strategies, get feedback on new feature rollouts, and meet other successful entrepreneurs. When you join, you'll get access to the best five interviews on scaling your SaaS. Membership is free for all SaaS Revolution listeners. Just go to www.asasm.com forward slash join. That's www.asasm.com forward slash join. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution. I'm your host, Alex Humer, and I'm joined today by a co-founder and CEO that's come from a background in investment banking in Europe uh, and is now based in San Francisco running a SaaS company that deals in sales intelligence. Uh, Welcome to the show, Bastian Janmart, CEO of DataFox. Thanks, Alex. Great to be here. No, it's uh, really great to have you on the show uh, today. Bastian, how are you doing? All good, all good. It's uh, 8 a.m. Uh, it's a foggy morning in San Francisco. Okay, ni- nice and early, but um, uh, yeah, I- I'm, an, I'm a morning operator myself, uh, so um, you know, hopefully uh, you're, you're nice and fresh for some good questions that I've got for you, uh, uh, for, for you today. So uh, I-, I-, I mentioned um, uh, very briefly, I said, you know, Fox deals in sales intelligence. Uh, you know, can you give a bit of a, a, a more of an overview, shall we say, of the company and the origins of the company, etc.? Yeah, sure thing. So high level, we, we actually call DataFox a prospecting platform. Um, we do a lot of things, but fundamentally our north star is to take both the guesswork and the grunt work out of finding great prospects. Uh, and we do that not just for people in sales, we do that for marketers, people working in business development, and also people working in uh, finance, which is where... Uh, I actually come from, uh, as you said, I, I used to work in, in London for an investment bank looking for high growth companies in Europe and I spent a lot of my day very manually searching through lists of companies, uh, visiting conferences in person, reading industry tr- trade journals, all to find businesses that might be a match for us to reach out to. So, um, you know, the premise behind DataFox was to bring bring a lot more automation to that and Moved out here to uh, the Silicon Valley, teamed up with a few folks who were thinking about a very similar problem, and uh, three years ago founded DataFox. Okay, awesome. And um, so, you know, as your platform is a a prospecting platform, deals in uh, sales, you know, intelligence, and as you're speaking uh, later this year at at SaaS.conference about building an outbound sales strategy, I figure that, you know, today... We can talk about sales and specifically, you know, selling SaaS. So, uh, uh, you game? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Excellent, cool. So, uh, you, you know, first question, um, you, you know, is around uh, CRM, right? I think you know CRM. Um, in my understanding, I don't run a SaaS company, but you know, my understanding, it, it's pretty important um, uh, to have a CRM. So, you know, can you sell without a CRM? Um, and uh, and second part to that question, you know, if you're happy to share, what CRM platform do you use and, and why? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think you can, as a founder, as a small company, you can start selling without a CRM, but we're at a stage now with 27 people, eight folks working in sales, three in marketing. There's absolutely no way we could do what we do without a CRM. So back in the early days, I just had a spreadsheet. That was my CRM, right? It was, a, uh, it was actually a, a Google sheet. Uh, where I, I kind of kept track of key prospects, I tiered them, I kept track of the status, but it was all uh, pretty manual. Um, and then as soon as we hired our first salesperson, 
Um, I had actually just prior to that, I had adopted Relate IQ, which is now Salesforce IQ. It was acquired by Salesforce because uh, to someone who's never used a CRM before, Relate IQ is a really easy, intuitive way to start tracking your deals in something that's a bit more structured than a spreadsheet. But actually, very soon after our first sales rep joined us from Salesforce, he said, no, 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 we got to go. We got to go all the way. So setting up Salesforce a allowed us to build in dashboards that at the time you couldn't do using Relate IQ, and uh, I've learned you know what you can't measure, uh, you, you can't improve. So the extent to which you can build dashboards in Salesforce is pretty unrivaled. Uh, and number two, we knew we were going to build a Salesforce integration down the road. So to be able to dog food that, we had to be on on that on that CRM. Okay, okay, awesome. And uh, I think you're jumping from. Um, you know, CRM into, uh, so there's no real neat segue here, but into cold emailing. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, outbound cold emailing? Um, you know, do DataFox uh, do it? Um, you know, let me know. Yeah. So cold emailing. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a controversial topic nowadays, I think, because there are so many tools out there now that allow you to cold email lots of people in bulk if you wanted to. And I think that's something that's a little abused by, by, by some folks out there. You know, download a list of 10,000 email addresses and send everybody the same email. Uh, there are 100 billion emails, business emails being sent every day. So we're all getting inundated, right? Uh, and so our mantra here at, at DataFox is, okay, we can cold email, but we have to be highly targeted. In fact, we, we can only send them one at a time. So we're, in fact, the rule here is, and I quote, no outreach without research, no follow-up without reason. So you can't send an email to a cold prospect without having researched that prospect and therefore having the confidence that they might actually need what we're selling them. Uh, and number two, you'll never get an email from a DataFox uh, team member that says, hey, bubbling this up or just wanting to check in. We have to follow up with a reason. Uh, it's either... It, you know, it's either giving information, like check out this news article that might be relevant, or this webinar that we're promoting, or um, uh, or you know, following up to to um, reschedule a call or something like that. That's all okay, of course, but but none of the bubbling up uh, type nonsense. And the reaction we've got to that has been extremely positive. We get reactions to our our outbound emails along the lines of, "Wow, that was gr great job with that very targeted email. I'm going to actually share this with my." Sales team is kind of best practices. So there's obviously a trade-off because if you're sending them one at a time, you're sacrificing a lot in scale. But this is how we do it. Okay, awesome and great, uh, uh, great advice there. Um, you know, can you you mentioned um, obviously in the first question that you use Salesforce? Um, you know, can you provide some more sort of insights into what your your sales stack is and 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 how it's really sort of helped you acquire new customers? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, we, we've got a pretty clean, I'd say, sales stack. We obviously use our own product for our outbound efforts. And it might help to give you a bit of context. Our sales team, eight people. We've got two SDRs, uh, which we define as inbound. Mm -hmm. So someone hits our website, signs up for a trial, we call them. That's what our SDRs do. We've also got two BDRs, which we define as outbound. So they're in a very targeted, one-at-a-time way, cold calling and emailing into prospects. And then we've got four account executives. And actually, one of those account executives is a bit of a, uh, is, is a player coach. 
So he's carrying his own bag, but he's also um, leading the team. So I give you that context because uh, so we, we dog food our own product, especially in our outbound efforts. We use DataFox to find uh, prospects that are aligned with um, our ICP. And then we find an insight around the business we're reaching out to, like congrats on that award, or I see you just hired your 50th person, you know, something concrete to mention on our call or in, in that email. That's where we use DataFox. Then uh, to append our emails into Salesforce, we use Salesforce IQ. Uh, and, um, and then a couple reps use, uh, use a few tools. It's not compulsory, but there's a tool called Boomerang, which we use within our email to have an email come back as a reminder that we should follow up. Uh, we use mail track to, to see whether an email was opened. Uh, and there's this nifty little tool called A-Text, which we use to save uh, template phrases or even just our address or a template email, which you can then very quickly insert into an email. A-Text, really cool. <coughs> oh, sorry. Uh, and... Uh... I've actually not heard, I think, of, of most of those tools. So uh, I, I think that's, um, uh, that, that, that's pretty sort of interesting. Um, you know, hopefully people can go away and sort of research uh, those tools and, um, you know, see if they can sort of help their, uh, help their businesses. Um, uh, you mentioned, um, you, you know, that you, you've got sort of eight people within the team and the, uh, the, the structure of that team. So I'm, I'm assuming that you built your sales organization from the, uh, from the bottom up, uh, rather yep, than rather right. than top down. Can you yep. can you explain why you did that? Why you didn't you know just hire like a VP of sales and, and go the other way? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think whether that was um, a very deliberate decision at the time. Um, you know, we'd been doing a, I'd been selling myself just as a founder, mm -hmm. and so I think the inclination at the time this was. Uh, late 2014, so about a year and a half ago, maybe a year and a half into building the company, we decided, hey, we, we, need, we need to bring in some professionals. So the, the in inclination there was to just bring in quota carriers as opposed to, as opposed to a manager. Mm -hmm. uh, so we hired two. The advice I got there was it's impossible to benchmark and know if your first rep is doing well if you don't have two people to compare to each other. So that, that's what we did. And then one of those AEs, is the person who's wound up now becoming the player coach, team lead, who's also uh, uh, running the team. And I think there's a lot of literature out there, lots of advice out there on, you know, be careful if, you're, if your best rep is moved into a leadership role, you're losing your best rep and you don't know if that person is fit to lead. Um, so, yeah, I saw all the warning signs or I heard about all the, the warning stories out there. But in our case, it's worked really, really well. And, and he's, he's, uh, he's done a really nice job in that transition. Um, so we, we had those first two AEs, then we brought on one SDR uh, who built the playbook for the SDR function, and then we promoted an SDR into the outbound role, BDR, and he built out the playbook for, for that function. And it was right around six, seven people in total that I realized there was uh, something missing in kind of day-to-day -day management, that reps weren't getting enough um, kind of coaching from me. Obviously, I get pulled in, in a bunch of different directions here, not just sales uh, stuff. So, uh, so that's when we, we needed to bring the a that first AE into more of a coaching role. Okay, and, and um, you know, have you ever had to hire uh, or sorry, fire um, you, you know anybody 
from well specifically from the sales team you know for for not hitting quotas um you know uh, uh, and if so you know how how was that um you know experience yeah i mean you know we've been we've been around for three years so there's there are a couple of folks we've parted ways with uh along the way um and including on the sales team however you know that wasn't it was never for a quota reason honestly there, there was this you know there was a case where we brought in an account executive who we hired out of a management role elsewhere and so there was just a bit of a misalignment there in skills this person was fit to be a manager and we needed them as an early quota carrier or yeah, a bag carrier so that, that was a bit of a misalignment um, you know the thing with quotas I found is that with deal size lumpy and months very lumpy will kind of blow past quota one month and then miss it the next month especially when you've still got a relatively small team I view our quota for account executives as a pretty loose target uh, Honestly, and that's why, on a, in terms of compensation, our account executives they get a percentage of every deal they close. Uh, so you know, it doesn't matter. There, we haven't built in excel accelerators really yet for account executives. Now, for SDRs and BDRs, I view it very differently. There, it's very concrete. It's more activity based. You need to make a certain number of calls, qualify a certain number of opp opportunities. So there, we just make sure we constantly tweak the quota. Uh, based on how, how we are doing in that function, uh, and, and their quota is a much more important and concrete uh, target. Okay, so, so talking of, talking of quotas, uh, as we are last week, I was at a, a small SaaS conference in in Paris, and I met with a founder of a European SaaS company that actually um, I, I you know hold my hands up, I hadn't heard of, but you know you can't hear of every company in the world. And um, uh, they, I think, were pretty big. They had a, I think they're about a 200-person organization. Um, and uh, their sales team uh, do not get compensated. They don't carry quotas. Um, I, I was pretty surprised about that. I mean, what are your thoughts? Um, I just, you, you know, throwing it out there. What, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've never tried it because the advice we got early on here from our investors and our advisors and you know people around us here in San Francisco was, look, it's a very metrics-driven job, uh, and and tying variable compensation to those metrics in a sales job, it's tried and tested. It's like what all the great companies do. We're two blocks from Salesforce, and I'd say they're best in class and how they you know have built their sales org over time. So you know we're gonna we, we're gonna want to emulate that. I, and I do think also maybe this is a bit cliche or a bit of a generalization, but you get a certain type of person who's motivated with you know financial rewards tied to very concrete metrics. So um, I, I personally wouldn't I wouldn't try it, um, but you know maybe maybe early on in a company's life you need people who are who are who are self motivated. Uh, independent of financial reward, and, and so you just want want to trust them to test test your market early on, maybe. Uh, but you know, my view there was just guess guess what your quota should be early on, and be willing to adjust it over time. Rather do that than than not have variable compensation at all. Okay, and um, obviously quotas motivate uh, you, you know salespeople. You know they, they need targets to work towards. Um, outside of that, you know, from a cultural perspective, you know, what sort of things you know do you do at DataFox to keep your sales team motivated? Yeah, <clears throat> motivation. Yeah, I mean, I guess 
as first of all, we find people who are very motivated to do this type of job in the first place, right? So they don't, they don't need, I, I found that I don't need to fuel the fire very much here. Yeah. People, people come, they want ownership, uh, i.e. ownership in stock, but also just ownership of their function. They're excited to, to, to blaze a trail in more uncharted territory. You know, they've joined us from bigger companies. So they're, they're very self-motivated. Um, you know, some, some structure in terms of goals and dashboards helps a lot, right? So we've got a, a bunch of dashboards built out in Salesforce that we're looking at on a daily basis and in our weekly sales meetings. Uh, so, so that's helpful. Uh, I don't know if you've talked about spiffs much on this show. Yeah, uh, not, so, are, not so much. So these are very short-term, small incentives. This wasn't my idea. It was the idea of somebody on our sales team. Uh, he'd seen it work well elsewhere. So you'll say, for example, all right, everybody, today from 3 to 4 p.m., everybody on the sales team, make as many calls as possible, and whoever sets the most meetings gets a $50 Amazon gift card. I heard that. I was like, what? A $50 Amazon gift card? But it works. I mean, and again, it's because, you know, folks who work in, in sales are, are typically, they're, they're hungry go-getters. They're motivated by, by, by any type of incentive uh, that's tied to, tied to their concrete performance. So, yeah, these spiffs have been really interesting to kind of sprinkle throughout the, the week. They've been interesting for us. And then I guess the one other thing that we've... Uh, found helps us attract sales reps from big companies and keep them motivated is let them have involvement in other parts of the business. So we'll have a rep, for example, who wants to get marketing involvement. And so they host a webinar or write a bunch of our marketing drip campaign emails or somebody who want, really wants to be involved in product. And so they get involved in redesigning a feature, which I guess in our case works, especially because we use our own product. But either way, I mean, give, give folks the opportunity to see inside the kitchen beyond just the sales function. I think that helps as well. Okay, um, and uh, so I, I noticed um, obviously some of your customers are you know sort of large enterprises, uh, the likes of Box and Goldman Sachs, and uh, so uh, and you've also, as you said, you know, you know got um, uh, account executives within your eight-person sales team. Um, so I'm uh, making an assumption that these account executives, they're also you know sort of field, field sales guys. They're going out there because the, the the large enterprise. Uh, clients, you know, probably want to have face-to-face -face meetings to close down the the, the bigger value uh, uh, sort of deals. Um, uh, is that a fair assumption? Uh, I'd say you're. It's a. I can see where your assumption comes yeah. from because we do sell into some big companies, but typically we'll sell to a, a specific team first. So our deal size is. Uh, is uh, at the moment still below $100,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Would love to cross that barrier at some point, but at the moment we're still below it. So technically they're inside sales reps, although we do, uh, we do try and get in front of people in person as much as possible. And mm -hmm. so with, you know, you mentioned Box and Goldman Sachs, we've definitely been in their office and they've been in ours. So I'd say inside sales by structure, but you know, trying to get in front of deals where, where the deal size is bigger, absolutely. Okay, and, and so when should you, you know, have or start building out this field sales team? You know, is it when, you, you know, the, uh, the, the deal size gets over 100,000? You know, what, what, what is the, um, uh, I, I guess, the deciding factor? Yeah, I mean, I think there's often a correlation with deal size, but more fundamentally, it's probably when a deal becomes very complex, when there are 
you know, a lot of decision makers involved, you just, you, that becomes difficult to navigate over the phone, right? And that, that's why in-person meetings become more important. Um, I think we're still quite far away from, from having dedicated uh, field sales reps. Um, so I don't know. I, I definitely haven't felt the need to build out that, that function here yet. Also, currently our deal cycle, our sales cycle is, is about 40 days. So it's just we haven't seen the complexity yet that would require dedicated field sales. Okay. Um, uh, uh, that sort of uh, deal cycle leads in nicely to, to, to the next question. So you said about 40 days to typically close a, a mm. data fox deal. Um, you know, can you share advice just in, in, in general on closing SaaS deals faster? I mean, 40 days, you know, it doesn't seem like a long time, but, you know, what are the, the, the kind of, you know, tips or things that you've found that, you know, have enabled you to kind of close these deals and get them, you know, to 40 days or less? Yeah, let me think. <clears throat> well... I guess first and foremost, coaching your account executives. And what I mean by that specifically is I think there are, and this is advice we got from one of our advisors, was there are really three questions you need to ask your rep that really matter in terms of figuring out if a deal is going to close and, and getting it there faster. Number one, what are the hurdles to closing? Uh, number two, what's the plan to actually traverse those hurdles? And number three, what's the mutual... ROI expectation with the client. If you can answer those three questions, then you're in a good spot. If you can't answer those questions, then you'll motivate your account executive to go bottom that out and that bottoming that out will actually move that deal to close faster. Um, but I guess you know, more, more concretely, we, we offer a two-week trial. So the trial, off, keeping your trial short can help shorten the deal cycle because you know if your trial's 30 days, people are gonna use the full 30 days and then the negotiation starts. So shorten that, that trial if it makes sense for your product. Uh, keep your, your documents really simple. We used to have like a, I don't know, a 20 page um, a, a sales agreement and then we shortened it to a page that references our terms of service on our website. It's just much cleaner, much simpler, so it reduces a bunch of legal complexity. If at all possible, avoid the legal uh, back and forth altogether and mm -hmm. just uh, get, get someone's, swipe someone's credit card and, and refer to the terms of service on your website. So just try to remove complexity. Okay, no, good, good advice there. And um, so there's some advice there to closing SaaS deals faster. Um, what about, you know, just one piece of advice uh, for for SaaS founders, um, you know, or uh, even you know uh, SaaS uh, sales uh, execs, um, you know, to help them sell more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my my top learning from having our first account executives come in here and sell our SaaS product the way it should be sold. My my learning was mainly on, um, or my biggest learning was don't be shy about really getting into the gritty details with your prospect on uh, the, the process that they're going to need to go through to close this deal. Ask them point blank about their budget. You know, are we replacing something else? Is there a budget that's already been allocated? Do they need to go get approval? Who is the decision maker? You know, it, can, it can be awkward to ask, are you, do you have authority? But one way to phrase it, for example, is, Hey, look, I know when we buy new software and new services, 
I need to get my CFO's input. Is there someone on your end who you'll need to run it by? So there are ways to ask it without offending people. And then urgency, you know, it's that mutual ROI expectation. Like, is this, what is the, the, the problem that you're going to solve with this? And, and how, do you, how do you stack rank that against the other priorities on your plate right now? Those were the things that I used to be shy to ask when I was you know, doing sales myself. Mm-hmm. And it meant that I'd often get to a point where I thought a deal was going to close and then it didn't because I hadn't fleshed one of those things out. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm guessing that you've possibly, uh, you know, making a few assumptions you know, in, in this conversation, but possibly read a few SaaS, you know, sales books uh, or a few sales books sort of in, in general. What, you know, what, what's your favorite book um, you know, specifically sort of relating to SaaS sales that, that you can recommend uh, and why? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give two honorable mentions that I'm sure have been mentioned on your show already. So I'll give you another one. But those, those two would be Predictable Revenue, um, Obviously, it's kind of the Bible of, a, of a, a specialized sales team. And then Trish Bertuzzi's SDR playbook is also just fantastic for very concrete steps on how to put a specialized team in place. But I'll offer um, one that hopefully hasn't been mentioned. That's a book called Top Grading mm-hmm. by um, a fellow named Brad Smart. This is actually not about sales. <laughs> it's, it's actually about recruiting, about interviewing. Uh, it's an interview style and methodology that's, uh, I think, been critical in, in how we are able to, how we've been able to um, inter- interview and vet candidates and wind up with uh, just really high quality, uh, keeping the bar, bar really high over here. It's um, top grading, its structure basically uh, takes the candidate all the way back to high school and just chronologically walks through their uh, education and work experience and you really get an understanding of what motivated people at each fork in the road and it gives you an, an insight into someone's motivations um, that goes way beyond what I used to get out of our, our, our more uh, ad hoc interview style. So top rating. Okay, awesome. Uh, um, it definitely hasn't been mentioned on the, any of our podcasts so far and uh, I'm going to check it out. It, it, it sounds very interesting. Um, and uh, final question, uh, we, we come to the end of the show now, Bastian. Um, so uh, I, I mentioned at the beginning uh, that you're, you're speaking, uh, well, you're coming over to Europe, you, you're coming um, uh, to Dublin in September um, to speak at the SaaS.com conference. Um, you know, what can we uh, expect from your talk that you're going to give there? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to talk about uh, how to set up an outbound prospecting strategy very quickly. You know, I call it like uh, 60-ish days. It's what we did. Ironically, I think one of the, I think we were very slow to or late to build our own outbound sales strategy, and we now have one in place that's working really well. You know, very targeted outbound sales. And so, I'm, I'm going to talk through, just very practically speaking, how to get a strategy like that off the ground, uh, quick and cheap, uh, to know if it actually works for your, um, your your business and your product. So, yeah, I'm really excited to to share that with folks and get their feedback on what's worked for other people. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited uh, uh, as well. Looking forward to uh, uh, seeing that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I just want to say, um, you know, thanks so much, uh, Bastian, for, for being an awesome guest today. Um, really some great insights there, um, you know, for founders that are, I guess, kind of, you know, either, you know, selling their own, SaaS product or, you, you know, sales uh, execs that are, that are listening in uh, also. So th- thanks once again. 
Cool. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. And for those listening at home, if you uh, like this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, we really appreciate it. If you uh, rate and review us on iTunes, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by the Association of SaaS Marketing. They've created a private Facebook group for SaaS founders, CEOs, VCs, and CMOs to discuss successful SaaS marketing strategies, get feedback on new feature rollouts, and meet other successful entrepreneurs. When you join, you'll get access to the best five interviews on scaling your SaaS. Membership is free for all SaaS Revolution listeners. Just go to www.asasm.com forward slash join. That's www.asasm.com forward slash join.